Good morning. Um, I, I think most everybody knows me, but uh, as was mentioned, uh, my name is Josh McGuire. I'm a home group leader here, and uh, I'll be giving the sermon. But uh, I, before we jump into that, I'd like to pray too. So if you could just bow your heads and pray with me. Father, um, as Nick said, it is uh, just a an awesome experience that we're about and that we are have already entered into and i just confess that um i'm not i'm not uh, worthy i'm not up to um presenting your word in the way it should be presented and that's why i can just fall at your feet you're my only hope you're all of our only hopes um, you are the power and at the same time the rest for us all. So I just pray that you uh, open our hearts so that we can do this part of the church service service and worship to you. And also, Lord, I just I just feel such an urgency for uh, obedience. As it's just made so clear in Ecclesiastes and Psalm, Psalms and other parts of the Bible, we only have a small amount of time here on earth, Lord. And you have so much you want us to understand and so much that we need to do as your people, as your hands and feet. I just keep thinking about what Jesus said that... Um, you know, right now it's it's daytime and it's time to do the works of the Father, but night is coming soon when no man may work. And Lord, I just want um, myself, I want this church to just feel that urgency for knowing how to uh, relate to you, how to relate to others, what you want us to do and think and be. I just pray that this that is a reality that becomes truth and that we don't just wander through our time here with our eyes closed or focused on the ground, Lord, but we're looking up to you and seeking what you want us to, to do and think and be. So I just I I pray um that you prepare our hearts and that the Holy Spirit um is with us, speaking truth to all of our hearts, my heart, Lord, so that we can be changed. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, can we pass out some Bibles? We're going to be reading in Ecclesiastes. Um, so, uh, Ecclesiastes, if you start at Psalms, Psalms, you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, take uh, take this Bible. It's yours. Uh, if you know someone who's interested in God's Word, then uh, take the Bible and give it to them. We want people to to have it. So we're going to be reading Ecclesiastes six seven. I'll give you a second to uh, turn to that. Ecclesiastes. 
Ecclesiastes 6, 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Now before we jump into the verse, just want to give you a little context. Ecclesiastes, this book, was uh, written by Solomon. And you may know the one of the most famous stories about Solomon. When he was becoming king, taking over the, the kingdom of Israel from his father David, he had a dream or a vision. And in that, he saw God. And God asks him, what do you want? You know, what do you want? I'll, uh, I'll give it to you. And so uh, Solomon didn't ask for riches or life, but instead he asked for wisdom so that he could rule Israel in the best way possible. And God was pleased with this. And so he said, yes, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you wisdom. But uh, more than that, I'll give you everything else you didn't even ask for, riches and long life. So that was the start of Solomon's, you know, the really pursuit in uh, wisdom. And so he spent his entire life trying to learn how to live life and what the meaning was. And so that's where we get two books of the Bible. We get uh, Proverbs, which is Solomon trying to encapsulate how to live life. And we also get Ecclesiastes, this book here, where Solomon's trying to understand what the meaning of life is. So this this verse that we read is in the first half of the book. And most of the first half of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is trying to explore, investigate what has meaning in life and he's discarding the things that don't have meaning he calls it vanity now a lot of times when we think about vanity i guess when it's used in modern times we're thinking vain right you know someone looking in a mirror looking at themselves obsessed with their looks but that's not what solomon is really getting at he's when he talks about vanity it's uh, a description of emptiness or like like trying to grasp the air, uh, meaninglessness. And you can see that at the very beginning of Ecclesiastes. Let me just read the verses 1 through 3 uh, of Ecclesiastes. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So with that background, let's just read the verse one more time. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Now if you just took the plain meaning of the verse, you might read it and think, um, you know, it's saying all, all a man's work is for, for feeding his hunger. And uh, his hunger is never satisfied, right? So we know when we eat that uh, we're hungry again, very soon after. So, you know, is that what this verse is saying? Well, in a way, yes. But I think 
it's taking this concept and expanding on it. So let's look at it in a little more detail. First, I want to talk about the word toil. So the, the verse says, all the man, all the toil of a man is for his mouth. And this is the perfect word. So if you, some, some versions say labor, but I don't think that quite captures what the, the Hebrew word Amal means, it really does mean this trouble or this wearisome, painful work. So this is more than just lifting the spoon to your mouth to, to feed your, your hunger. This is our wearing job. This is waking up at 5 a.m. to, to commute your hour and a half, you know, across San Jose, as Paul was saying. This is, this is, um, taking care of those two children under three, the toddlers, day in and you know day out. This is waking up in the middle of the night worrying about the meeting that's going to happen tomorrow or how to resolve the conflict with your coworkers or the people who are reporting to you. This is that grinding part of life, that toil. Next, uh, I, I just want to talk about how that toil relates to these other words, especially mouth and appetite. So it says, all the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. So I think mouth and appetite are trying to get at this same idea. And it's not just physical hunger. If you look at the word appetite... In Hebrew, it's the word for person. So when they count people in Israel, they, you know, they use this word. There are 200 persons there, 200 lives there, 200 appetites there, right? It's the seat of your personhood, your desire for things. So if you take a step back um, and think about this verse, what are we what are we toiling? What kind of things are we toiling to feed our soul, our appetites? I think the 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 most obvious thing that we're we're feeding, you know, what what's the, the produce of our, our toil, right? It's money. Right? That's the, the most immediate thing. And with that money we can feed our appetites all kinds of other things, good things, um, food, you know, drink, you know, houses, uh, other things, uh, alcohol, drugs, clothes. So there's a lot of things. That's the kind of the most obvious that's produced from the toil. But there, there's psychological things too. Um, power from our toil, accomplishment, self confidence, or maybe. Our toil that we're using to feed our appetite is um, producing the smartest, most best-behaved kids or the uh, best body, right? Um, the fittest figure. Or maybe it's something in the future. 
And I think about my experience uh, when I was in college. You know, I toiled, toiled away at college, and uh, you know, I wanted to be finished with it, finally finished. So uh, after I was finished with college, then it was a job, toiling away at a job to to finally earn money, right? And then uh, after that, you know, f- saving up enough of that money to buy a house, right? And then after that, back to the the job again. Well, you know, what about recognition? You know, so there's there's all these things that we're feeding ourselves based on future promises. And most recently, uh, and actually, this is the reason that this verse was. You know, just stood out to me for today. Um, some of you may know that uh, uh, I've been struggling with a lot of, you know, f- issues with my job. At the beginning of this year, I left uh, a job at Google, and uh, I went and joined a company uh, as the head of the legal department for uh, a Chinese conglomerate, right? With promises of being able to build up the department. Have a hundred people underneath me, um, and you know, spend money to do things my way. You know, promises of IPOs and uh, recognition, the the whole uh, the whole gamut. But um, I was only there five months, and that's uh, because there were things uh, that were just wrong, and I I had to really question my uh myself like why why am i here right and this verse was instrumental cuz am i am i staying because of all the promises the the power the money the um you know the influence the even the excitement is this why i'm staying and uh the answer um was yes <laughs> That that that's why I was there. That's why I was toiling, and this verse uh, wouldn't let go of me. So during that five months, I couldn't get out of Ecclesiastes. I just kept reading, and then I'd finish, and then I'd start again, and I'd read, and I'd finish, and I'd start again. I couldn't leave Ecclesiastes because I was looking for it. I was looking for the meaning, right? I was looking for support. And uh, this toil, and this verse right here told me, all the toil for a man's mouth, and yet his soul is never satisfied. And so that was one of the things that was instrumental in my decision to leave. So why is this verse in the Bible? Is it just to, uh, um, you know, tell us? Something I think a lot of us know intuitively. Well, I think it's it's more it's more than that. You know, it has an important truth there about what can't satisfy. But I think it's also to um, help goad us in a different direction. I think this verse has a lot of the same purposes that the Old Testament law has. So. Um, the Bible asks itself, why, why do we even have the Old Testament law, right? Why, why does it exist when, you know, there's faith and there's Jesus? 
Well, um, it exists to keep us captive, to keep us essentially um, from escaping, <laughs> to show us that there's there's no hope and that there's only one chance of escape, and that's that's freedom through God in Jesus Christ. Uh, this is, I'll just read Galatians, uh, some of Galatians 3 that makes this explicit. So Paul is um, writing this letter and he asks a rhetorical question. He says, why the law then? And then he answers in verse uh, 23 of chapter 3, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up. To the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So we couldn't do it. Right. This is not, uh, this is like what I think Paul was getting at earlier. Uh, we couldn't do it. We had to have God do it on our behalf because there was no hope for us. And Romans 8.3 explains this, I think, you know, even more sharply. It says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Our flesh was weak. We couldn't, we couldn't do the law. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So we could never satisfy the requirements of the law. That verse makes it very clear and we know that. But because we could never satisfy the law, we could never be satisfied by it. Right? Well, there would never be an accomplishment. There would never be a fulfillment there. It would be vanity for us to try to satisfy the law. So this verse in Ecclesiastes, I think it tackles the same problem but from a different angle. The problem is still satisfaction, right? It's like we're looking for something to feed our soul, our appetite. And instead of trying to follow all the, the, the rules, the requirements that God set out, well, the other way is to try to feed ourselves with everything from our own work, right? The pleasures that we think will satisfy. So it's not about following rules. It's about making our own rules, right? My hard work gives me this and satisfies me. But this verse tells us that that won't work either, that there's no path that way. So God is trying to tell us that there is another way. So the same way the Old Testament goads us to faith in Christ, this verse in Ecclesiastes is trying to goad us to faith. So how does... How does God do it with this, with this verse? How does he lead us to faith and more particularly to faith in Jesus? Thanks. Well, God, God's a God of opposites, right? Um, he always does things kind of the upside down way, or I actually think 
you know, he, he's doing it the right side up way and we're all, the rest of us are all upside down. But he, he takes like Jesus's death on the cross, right? Death and life pours out of it, right? And like Paul said, he takes evil and good pours out of it. And he takes kings and he puts them down. And he takes slaves and he raises them, raises them up. So in the same way here, our natural tendency is to do to take labor and try to satisfy ourselves but god says no it's the opposite you take rest and satisfy yourselves jesus makes that explicit in matthew 11:28 he says come to me All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now that word soul is the same, has the same meaning as the word in Ecclesiastes. It's for persons. It's for life, right? It's the appetite. You will find rest. For your appetite, satisfaction for your appetite. So God is, um, he's doing it again. You know, our way is to toil and labor and try to, to squeeze pleasure out of all of this pain to fill us up. Um, and it can. God's exactly the opposite. Jesus said, just come to me, right? Stop laboring to fat, satisfy yourselves. I can, I'm the only thing that can satisfy you. Rest in me is the only thing. That's what you've been longing for. Now, we all know what it looks like to labor in an attempt to satisfy yourselves, right? We all do that naturally. We, we, you know, we're born doing that. But what does it look like to rest to satisfy your longings? That's not quite as intuitive. So I, I think there are a lot of answers to that question, but I'm just going to talk about two. Uh, the first is how to uh, have a satisfying rest through forgiveness. And the second is how to have a satisfying rest through trust. So a satisfying rest based on forgiveness. Romans 5.1 talks about this. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith through forgiveness... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy to be up here. (laughs) Right? I'm not worthy. I'm I, I shouldn't be able to speak to anyone about what's right, what's righteous, what's good, what's perfect, what's desirable, what we should do, what we should not do. I sinned yesterday. I've sinned today. I'll sin tomorrow. 
I've even sinned in the manner that this verse is talking about. So after, I mean, even after this verse was what drove me to leave my job, still had problems. I remember thinking uh, after I left, you know what? I am going to leave that company. I'm going to make just as much money as I would have made staying there to show them it can be done the right way. You know, how, how screwed up is that? <laughs> that is, it's, it's, it's so, it's so wrong. But you know what? I have rest and peace because I don't have to be perfect to talk to you about what the truth is, to rest, to be able to come to God. Because I'm not a good person, but I'm a forgiven person, and I can have peace in that. I remember when I was younger um, thinking that I had to somehow be good for a certain number of days after you know I, I sinned or, or, or did something wrong, right? Before I could go, finally pray or finally read the Bible again. That is exactly what this verse is addressing. Somehow toiling <laughs> to find your rest? No. God says, you're heavy laden. You're burdened. Come to me right now. Right? Don't try to fix it yourself first. So this is kind of an aside, but I know that uh, this is something our church and other churches can struggle with is appearing, you know, perfect, toiling to have, you know, kids that are, you know, always perfectly presented, you know, the clothes, toiling for, you know, the perfect, you know, car, the polished manners, so that when people come into our church, they think, I can't be like that, right? I can't be perfect like these people. They live a different life from me. But I'm hoping that, and I, you know, as I'm hoping that as time goes on, we just become more and more real with each other. That, you know, we're all so <laughs> sinful every day, but that is okay. There can still be rest in that. We don't have to fight it because we need peace, because the rest is in the forgiveness. Not in the actions. So, you know, just toiling for those things uh, is something that will assure we won't be satisfied and we won't have rest. But it also ensures that people won't see Jesus when they come to our church. So, in Perrin, um so that's one rest that's uh, based on forgiveness. Now, the second rest is something that's based on trust. And what I mean by that is that we're not responsible for the outcome of our obedience. God just asks us to obey. He doesn't ask us to um, ensure the result of our obedience. 
that way he gets the glory and we can't claim you know responsibility for it and it always makes me think about this uh verse in John that talks about abiding and that is in my mind tied to resting just stay put <laughs> relax uh, Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So if we were responsible for all of our works, then we would get the glory, right? But this verse makes it clear that apart from me, it's Jesus, you can do nothing. And that my Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, right? It's it's someone else that's taking responsibility for those actions. Thank God. Uh, and let me give just a example of that um, recently that rest so my little sister mary is uh struggle with mental health issues and drug abuse for a while and she gave me a call and uh we were we were talking um about her life and what's been going on and she told me that she's living with uh, a new guy new boyfriend um and she's trying to she's going to get a divorce from her husband she's married and uh, she in the in kind of the the conversation she's reluctant to to tell me this because she didn't want me to judge her and uh she told me that you know god had given her special message to tell her that this was all right you know this this behavior and so i i said um mary i don't have to tell you what's right and wrong you know the truth you know this isn't right and mary said to me josh but judge not lest you be judged I said, Mary, that's right. <laughs> this is, this is not about, I'm not trying to condemn you, right? God is the judge, but God does tell us that people who say they're Christians and who, um, you know, say they believe in God, well, other Christians, other people who believe in the word need to call them out, right? When something's wrong. And this is wrong. It was a hard conversation, and after I got finished with it, I sat down at the table with Rochelle, and I said, I, I feel like I screwed up. <laughs> you know, I, like, I think, should I have said it, you know, maybe in a, you know, a, a more loving way? Should I have waited to, like, uh, two phone calls later to bring it up? Should I have, um, you know, come at it at a different angle and just, like, I, just questioning myself. But that's where this rest comes in. I tried to obey the best I could. And God is teaching me to obey better as time goes on. <laughs> Thank goodness. But God was responsible for the outcome. 
with Mary, and God can even use my sin, my mistakes, to accomplish his will. I don't have to go back and think about it over and over again. Should I have just prayed with her to, to you know, to break this, this affection to this new guy or, and to build affection with, you know, her husband again or God, you know? I don't have to run that over and over and over because God's taking care of that. He wanted me to obey. He will teach me to obey better, but there's rest and that He'll take care of it. So, we know that the verse in Ecclesiastes is saying that toil and the things from her toil can't satisfy. And we know that in Matthew, Jesus says that rest is the only thing that satisfies. So, we're done, right? Right? Good. Got that taken care of. So, um, no. Um, it's not something you just read and it's one and done, right? This, uh, I think these verses are to remind us of what we already know, right? I still struggle with, um, these thoughts. You know, I don't have a job now and I'm thinking like, uh, you know, I need another, you know, high powered job, right? Like I had. But this verse is to remind me that that does not satisfy. I was just there <laughs> and completely unsatisfied. Right? This verse is to remind us of things that we already know. I mean, m- many of you already know that money, a home, sex, drugs, alcohol, obedient kids even, um, even health, right? That's not what satisfies there's always something that's lacking. And um, even when you do get these things that you want, it's not like there's even satisfaction. It's more like forgetfulness. Because I, I think about just, you know, the experience of college. Like I longed for college to be over nine years. It's a long time. Um, I, I longed for it to be over. As soon as over, almost never thought about it again. Right? It's not like you can sit in it and satisfaction and feel it. Right? It's just like, oh, forget about it. Next thing. Conversely, I think many of you know that the darkest times can be the most satisfying and in retrospect, at least. Uh, I think about, uh, these, the five months where I was struggling with this job. And I thought about Christ multiple times a day. He was, he was, in, you know, just embedded in every thought I had. And it was satisfying, right? It's this strange feeling. It's hard to describe where you can be satisfied and filled up with Christ and yet hungry for more, right? It's so unlike the feeling where you know, you obtain whatever you were trying to get, you know, car, money, whatever, and then you just forget about it and on to the next thing, right? This is what I think true satisfaction is. It's the feeling full. It's, um, it's, it's, you're in it. You're still in it, right? In Christ and yet hungering more for it. So I think these verses, uh, 
are really to give a name so that we can understand these feelings, this truth better and remind ourselves. So I, I pray that this has been a reminder, uh, has been helpful today. Uh, there is no satisfaction in toil, right? We can't fill up our appetites with anything that we do ourselves. Uh, but there is that satisfaction and rest. And the two things that I, I mentioned especially are rest and forgiveness, right? There's no guilt. There's no waiting to be better. We're perfect in God's eyes right now. And uh, there's rest in the fact that we don't have to control everything in life, right? We're not responsible for the outcome. Just the obedience, right? Let, we can let it go and God will take care of it. So in closing, I have uh, a quote from David. It was Solomon's father. And to me, this quote illustrates that even the wisest man on earth uh, may have learned something from his father. So I hope uh, my son Christian might be listening to this recording later. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the verse is uh, Psalm 127.2. And you can hear the reflection of some of Solomon's wisdom and what his father said. It says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even sleep. So let's pray. Father, these are such simple, straightforward truths. But um, we can't put them in our hearts. We can't lift the veil ourselves. So we need you to do that, Lord. We need you to remove the veil that makes it look like we can obtain this satisfaction from working hard at our jobs. Or finally finishing college or education, Lord, or having kids that are successful. Lord, take that veil away so that we can see that the only satisfaction we'll ever have is in rest. Rest from Jesus Christ. Make that real to us. I pray today in Jesus Christ's name, amen.